This episode of the Outside Podcast is brought to you by Toyota, a company that wants to help you find joy by exploring America's scenic byways. I'm Ariel Tweedo, and I would say I'm a wanderer and I'm an adventure enthusiast. I don't like planning. I like hitting the road. I just like going for it and just learning. Recently, Ariel and her good friend Shauna took a road trip in a Toyota RAV4 XSE hybrid on the legendary Blue Ridge Parkway. The route runs 469 miles through North Carolina and Virginia, and it connects two spectacular national parks, Shenandoah and Great Smoky Mountains. Exploring the Blue Ridge Parkway is so cool because it seems like it's a never-ending road of just, whoa, what is that? Oh my God, look at the river. I want to go in the river. I'm happiest when I'm outside in nature and when I'm with my friends and my family or when I see something new for the first time. Oh my God, this is super cool. I feel like I'm in another world again. Every turn on this scenic byway. Adventure brings you more excitement and stories in your life. And I think the more stories you have to share with other people, I think the more amusement and awe and joy that you'll have in your life. Whether you're rolling through the Blue Ridge Mountains and want a vehicle that delivers better gas mileage or heading off-road on a very different kind of adventure, there's a Toyota designed to get you there. Happiness to me is being with friends and family and being in nature and just exploring. Find the right Toyota to help you find joy on America's scenic byways at toyota.com. From Outside Magazine, this is the Outside Podcast. Last week, we launched a new series on the show, exploring the surprising pathways people follow in the pursuit of happiness. And we started off with a bang. Our first piece investigated the practice of thinking about death on a daily basis, maybe multiple times a day and why that can actually bring us a lot of joy. If you missed it, it's in the feed, and you should check it out. This week, for our second story in the series, we have what might at first seem like a more predictable approach to finding happiness, diving into the ideas of a great philosopher who found purpose and meaning in the mountains. But as producer Alice Fordham reports, following in the footsteps of a legend, especially in an alpine environment, well... It gets tricky fast. Sometimes you read a book that, well, maybe it doesn't exactly change your life by itself, but maybe it shines a light on something you need to change, something you're ignoring, lurking in the shadows. A couple years back, I read a popular philosophy book and every page felt like an argument against mediocrity, an urgent manifesto advocating freedom and creativity and risk. It was called Hiking with Nietzsche. And it explored the way that German philosopher had come up with his most exhilarating ideas while roaming the glittering peaks of the Swiss Alps. It's by John Keig, who's now a philosophy professor at the University of Massachusetts, Lowell, but who went to the Alps for the first time when he was a very young man following Friedrich Nietzsche's path. And what he did is he took off for the mountains, and that's what I did too. He headed to the Swiss Alps, toward a town called Sils Maria, where Nietzsche had lived, And he felt ready for the mountains. So I was 19. I was 
on the rowing team, I thought myself to be in very, very good shape. Physically strong, mentally intensely driven. I mean, I was a philosopher or a philosophy major. I was bookish, but I loved running. I didn't have a huge number of friends. And I was pretty hard on myself just in terms of I was pretty hard on my body when I trained. I was pretty hard on my mind when I studied or wrote. And so John Cake was actually on a train, heading to this town, Sils Maria, and the site known as the Nietzsche House. He's never been in the Alps before, and he decides to get off the train in another town, which is sort of close to his destination, except there's a great big mountain called Piz Plata in the way. I decided that I wanted to hike to Sils Maria, and I was going to try to go straight across Piz Plata without a um, compass or map which you might say sounds pretty much like a death wish, which it came very close to being. The decision was partly born of that youthful, invincible feeling and partly a wild way of engaging with his favourite philosopher. One of the things that I was meant to study when I was in Switzerland was Nietzsche's concept of agon. And agon is the Greek word for struggle. And Nietzsche famously said, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. And he suggested that one way that human beings find meaning in life is to struggle and suffer in the right way. And, and, and frankly, I think that there's a lot to be said for that position. But when I was 19, I took it to extremes. There was a serious self-destructive element a desire to push myself right to the edge. He calculated the distance, was 31 miles as the crow flies, and set off with food for a couple days, a light sleeping bag, no tent. It went about as well as you'd imagine. So I basically walked, scrambled, and climbed for 15 hours. So I found shelter above, well above the tree line, but as people know, above the tree line, shelter is extremely scarce usually and I ended up sleeping in you wouldn't really call it a cave but a depression in the rock I brought matches for example but I forgot to gather wood along the way and I spent the first night in complete what what I have had never really experienced before which was complete darkness and complete isolation and for a 19 year old from central Pennsylvania I was scared. He was also extremely cold. It was either frost nip or windburn burned my left ear so badly that it still it looks basically like I like a large number of uh, blood vessels have broken on my lower lobe. Wisely, he did turn back. He was so lost it took two days to get back to his starting point. But his second night was in the woods where he felt safe if shaken. It was a confrontation with fear that I had not really encountered before. And the first realization that the desire to push yourself and to exercise your will in extreme ways can oftentimes flip over into what Nietzsche calls asceticism, which is the desire to self-flagellate or the desire to self-harm. And... It was one of my first and most pointed realizations that that transition could occur very quickly. 
That hike was the beginning of a relationship with the Alps that would bring exhilaration and darkness in his life. And he was drawn there after long seeking solace in nature and in the philosophers of nature. He had weathered a turbulent childhood and adolescence that belied a tranquil exterior in rural Pennsylvania. There's this very small town, something that Norman Rockwell would have painted, where a tributary of the Susquehanna River runs into several others. It's a place where living really does involve, you know, walking and going outside. And these are modest treks. But I think what I discovered growing up in sort of rolling hills countryside is that being outside could make me less anxious and make me less depressed than I typically was as a child. My father was a banker in international business. And my mother was, a, at the time, a stay-at-home mom. My father was what you would call free with his hands, or what, you know, uh, old people call free with his hands. When he finally left, um, when I was four, everyone, my mom, me, and my brother, were all left with the sense that we were pretty darn unlovable which seems to be far afield from all the discussions about self-mastery and you know work and um, hiking and extreme sports and extreme studying. But it's actually not far afield at all because I think many people who grow up feeling like in order to be loved, they have to prove something, act this way. When Keig was 15, his older brother brought home Henry David Thoreau's Walden, which chronicled the philosopher's two years and change of living on the shores of pristine Walden Pond on the outskirts of Boston. The book clearly had an impact. Keig now lives five minutes from Walden. So Henry David Thoreau is American philosophy's uh, wild man. <laughs> he says, he, I, I went to Walden to live deliberately, to get the sort of marrow of life, so that when I got to the end of life, I, di I didn't discover that I haven't lived. And it was really the idea that all of the rat race of our capitalist mindset and all the rat, rat race of our entertainment really distract us from what life can be. It's sort of funny that I have ended up on the shores of Walden Pond because in some ways that is where I decided first to become a philosopher. Keig visited Walden in his teens. He'd been struggling with his mental health at home and his Latin teacher, who'd been encouraging Keig's interest in philosophy, took him on a summer trip to Boston as an escape. I mean, I had a very severe bout with depression, anxiety and an eating disorder through high school, which really stemmed from a type of perfectionism, I think, and a type of work ethic that my family had always encouraged. It came to a head when I was um, running track and uh, swimming. He even used to faint sometimes. I passed out on the um, pool deck from swimming too hard. And I think at that point, Mr. Eames, my Latin teacher, encouraged me to get a little distance between myself and the normal normality or seeming normality of uh, civilized life. Yeah, so they were the rather fragile teenager in this 
place so imbued already with meaning before you got there. What what was it like to see um, Walden for the first time? <laughs> I mean, in part, I was such a I was such a, a teenager. I was quite upset that there was anyone there other than myself. Um, and in fact, during the summer months, Walden is swarmed with tourists. I thought that this was the, some sort of isolated um, sanctuary. And I got there and there were cameras and people playing volleyball. And so I was quite upset at the time. I waited until the park closed. And then I went for several laps around the, the pond. Cake went to college at Penn State, where he was introduced to the writings of Friedrich Nietzsche by a professor who wanted this obviously brilliant student to be able to immerse himself in that philosopher's landscape. Nietzsche is the bad boy of European philosophy, just as Thoreau is the wild man of American, also a 19th century German philosopher, and also a great walker. And at the end of the course, my professor took me aside and handed me an envelope. And in the envelope was $3,000 or a check for $3,000, which he had gotten from the Honors College at Penn State. And he said, John, I think you should go hiking with Nietzsche. And you write rather um, gloriously in the book about the paths, literally, that Nietzsche took during his time there and the um, where he physically went on that journey and where he philosophically went on that journey. Can you, can you give me a bit of a feel for, for that process, for that inspiration? So Nietzsche is known for bumper sticker slogans. So things like <laughs> God is dead or what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. But really at the heart of Nietzsche's philosophy is one really interesting thought experiment. The thought experiment goes something like this. Imagine that a demon comes to you in your loneliest of lonelies and says to you, Alice, says to you that you are supposed to relive this moment, not once, not twice, not a hundred times, but an infinite number of times in a type of eternal return. And with that thought, the idea that this moment would be repeated infinitely, would this elevate your soul or would it crush you? Nietzsche thought that uh, one way of responding to this thought experiment called the eternal return is to live so vibrantly and so strongly and so thoroughly, so deliberately in Thoreau's language, that you don't have regrets and that you would be able to say, yes, play it again forever, time and time again. Above Sils Maria are passes and peaks that Nietzsche trekked in search of a response to this philosophical puzzle. How do you live without regret? How do you live so vibrantly, so beautifully that you would be willing to do it forever in the same way? And uh, I think that that's what the, the Alpine trails above Sils Maria first meant for Nietzsche when he was still able to walk them. And just to give you a sense, like Sills is this lake that is just 
magnificent in the sense that it's a mirror for the um, mountains and you can look down or you can look up and it doesn't matter because you are seeing the heavens wherever you look. It's just, and it's, um, uh, I mean, you can hear in my voice that I'm slightly speechless trying to describe it. But what Nietzsche thought is that the experience that you have in these sublime places gives you a chance not to regret the life that you are living. This type of experience could give one a reason to be. I'm curious, you had this trip. Um, We talked about how maybe the pursuit of philosophy for someone so young was a bit solitary at times, and it certainly sounded like the trip was solitary in the book. But as you moved into adulthood, how did you, um, how did philosophy guide your interactions with other people as you became close to other people? Nietzsche was not particularly good at love, nor was he particularly adept at friendship. And unfortunately, I'd have to say that I was Nietzschean in that respect for a long time in my life. And so one thing that I had to think about is my relationship to nature and my, at the time when I was 19 or 20, my almost obsessive desire to conquer longer distances or higher heights or higher peaks. These pursuits are oftentimes not conducive to sharing life with others. We'll be right back. At the top of the episode, we heard from self-described wanderer and adventure enthusiast Ariel Tuito about her road trip in a Toyota RAV4 hybrid on the legendary Blue Ridge Parkway. It just seems like every corner you turn is a different really cool overlook or a really cool waterfall or just the most lush, lush forest. Ariel and her friend Shauna were on a quest for new experiences, and they found them in a variety of places, like authentic local restaurants. I highly recommend the hot sauce. A classic general store with an impressive selection of offerings. Nails to wasabi peas, suckers. Pickled eggs. Pickled eggs. And stunning mountain bike trails. Just let's start in granny gear. So pedal until you get in the easiest gear. It was Shauna's first time on a mountain bike. Yay, Shauna! Granny gear. Granny. (laughs) I had a blast. I conquered my fears. You did so good. (laughs) So many different things make me smile, but I think the biggest thing is just when, when you have a moment with your friend. Find joy on your own journey on one of America's great scenic byways. No matter what kind of adventure you're after, there's a Toyota designed to get you there. Learn more at toyota.com. Thanks for coming on this adventure. Of course. I'm so happy to be here with you. Let's mow down on some collard greens and hit the open parkway road. So after his intense alpine experience, John Kay graduated university and became an academic. And after a rather solitary youth, did meet a woman who was as passionate about philosophy as he was. They argued their way into his first marriage, though it didn't last all that long. He chronicled its end and the beginning of a new relationship in his first book. It's called American Philosophy, A Love Story. 
But by the time he hit his 30s, he had changed a bit from this raw, questing youth, constantly seeking meaning and richness of experience. He was married again with a daughter and much more content and calm. But there was something missing. So he took his family back to Switzerland. As you work through your 30s, and you do give yourself over to conventional life and families and habits of domesticity and habits of you know, doing the laundry and taking care of kids. And you wonder where the wilderness has gone. And it's very easy to simply give yourself over to complacency. And I think that my desire to go back to Sils Maria was an attempt to reclaim something of my younger enthusiasm. And whereas I had roughed it the first time, we stayed at the vault house which is one of the grandest hotels in the world. The result of that experience was a very harsh break between a love for nature and a, you know, a quest for simplicity and then just realizing that I had given myself over to this decadence that Nietzsche abhorred, hated. And honestly, I have to be quite frank that I think that many... 30, 40-year-olds, 50-year-olds who start out hiking or swimming simply or turn it into something of decadence, an obsession with gear, an obsession with, you know, places to go. And I was definitely guilty of that on the second trip. Um, I also discovered that my body had sort of broken down quite a bit since I was 19 and that for many different reasons, I wasn't able to do the things that I had once done. Keg's first trip to the Alps had been difficult, but this trip was dark. He says it brought him into contact with one of Nietzsche's other ideas, the amor fati, the love of fate. And the amor fati says, the love of fate, says that you need to love not only the most triumphant moments of your life, but also those moments when you feel humbled, when you feel despicable, when you feel humiliated, when you feel uh, really low. Uh, he says, I must thank my years of sickness as my most cherished because they have made me who I am. In other words, if you can actually love those years or those moments that are difficult for you, maybe you'd be able to say, play it again, infinitely, even with those. And I think that that's a lesson for later life. I certainly have experienced it now that I'm 40. Life does not consist in the will to power uh, primarily, in moments of triumph, which I would repeat indefinitely, but moments when the will fails you, when you see yourself as mortal and as able to be humiliated and uh, worthy of humiliation <laughs> and when you use your will in sort of embarrassing or immoral ways. I mean, these are moments that are real in life. And I think that um, Nietzsche's later experiences in the Alps and on the trails was coming to terms with himself, coming face to face with himself and even the more despicable parts. You also experience that as you grow older and you have been a good climber or a good swimmer or a good trekker. And then you have to come to terms with the fact that your body hurts, that your body fails you, that you 
that you're dying. I mean, life is just the painful process of dying. I don't mean to bum anybody out here, but it's just a euphemism for dying. We're all doing it and coming to terms with that and that life is fragile, extremely painful. And how do you still persist? Um, even if you face that and face it squarely, those are lessons that you have or can have on the trail when you're 40, 50, 60, 90. For me personally, all the lessons Keg learned in the Alps felt like things I needed to learn too. I read Hiking with Nietzsche at around the same age he was when he wrote it. I was coming toward midlife. I'd had an exuberant youth where I travelled a lot, where I worked as a reporter witnessing real turning points in history, like the Arab Spring or the war against ISIS. And I'd come to rest in London, which felt big and alienating. The routine was numbing. The city was grey. And reading this book about the challenge of living deeply, physically and mentally, woke something up in me. I quit my job and I swore I would at least try to work and live with purpose. It's been challenging, for sure, but at least I haven't felt numb. And the journey continues, of course. In Keg's life, his second marriage ended, and he married a third time. And then, just as he was hitting 40, his body sprang an unwelcome surprise. When I was younger and competing in swimming or rowing or running, I oftentimes would pass out. And... As I grew older, these occurrences happened more often. And then I was 40. It was last March. I was running on a treadmill and I hopped off the treadmill and I felt this sort of dip in my chest and then into my stomach and then into my shoes, basically. And I laid down on the ground and went into full cardiac arrest. They had to use the pads to bring me back. Wow. After which I was taken to Tufts Medical Center, where I was diagnosed with abnormal right coronary artery, which is a congenital condition. It's a leading cause of sudden death in young athletes. So that, that is, I guess, to say that I, I have been very, very lucky over the years. And then over the next two weeks, they removed a large amount of scar tissue that had built up in my heart and I went through bypass surgery and I went from being able to run six minute miles fairly comfortably to uh, not being able to run a single mile in anything less than 12 or 13 minutes. And my ability to negotiate the natural world went from feeling at home in the natural world to feeling very much disjointed and apart from it. Do you remember the first time you went out again after you'd been ill? I had the bypass surgery in the last week of March. By the end of April, I decided to put my wetsuit on and try to swim across Walden. And it did not go well. I got about 50 yards out and I came up and gasping. And I thought, if I keep going, I think I probably won't make it. And so what I did was I did something that I had never done before, which is go back. And it was yet another moment where you just realized that you are getting older. Uh, as we speak, we are getting older. Slowly, our bodies are degrading. And you can try to go to the gym and keep your muscles fit 
as much as you want. And at the end of the day, we are all still worm food. Part of life is just figuring out how to deal with that fact. And it does have to do with training, but it also has to do with acceptance. Sometimes the hardest things in life are to simply stop. And um, that was the realization that I had, you know, 50 yards out into Walden. You've been through quite a lot in the last year, and I'm sorry to hear it. Has philosophy and has nature continued to help you in their twin ways through this? I now find nature incredibly humbling. I had always taken for granted the ability to run a trail or to walk a trail. And now I don't take it for granted. I am just so deeply grateful that I get a chance to do this with my daughter and now with my wife. And we go at much a much slower pace. The, the ability to just be in nature is a gift. And it's something that has taken a long time for me to realize. The ability to be outside after being completely incapacitated, to think that you were going to die, to actually die, to be brought back is crazy. It's just, yeah, there's no better way to say it. it's just a present. And, and trust me, in my younger years, I was the most impatient, ungrateful young man that you might ever come across. I'm not some Zen monk, right, at this point. Like, patience doesn't come easily to me. Gratitude doesn't come easily. But the last few years, I've gotten a crash course in both. Haig's courses in patience and gratitude seem to have paid off. After he spoke, he went to Walden for a swim, which, after a lot of effort, he can now do again. That was Alice Fordham speaking with philosopher and author John Keg. You can learn more about John's books and his work on his website, johnkeg.com. Keg is spelled K-A-A-G. John also recently wrote a piece for Outside about the absurdity of laws prohibiting open water swimming. Find that at OutsideOnline.com. Alice produced this episode, which was edited by me, Michael Roberts. Music for this series is by Louis Weeks. Thanks to Christina Katapotis of the City University of New York for allowing us to use recordings from her Walden Soundscape project. This episode was brought to you by Toyota, which wants to help you find joy by discovering America's scenic byways. Whether you want to cruise Michigan's M22 with your family or head off-road in the Beartooth Mountains of Wyoming and Montana, there's a Toyota design to get you there. Learn more at toyota.com. The Outside Podcast is made possible by the support of our Outside Plus members. Learn more and join at outsideonline.com slash outsideplus. Outside podcast listeners get 25% off an Outside Plus membership with the coupon code OUTSIDEPOD. That's OUTSIDEPOD, all lowercase.